Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined by the Dylan to my Dutch. That's right, Kevin Garber, you son of a bitch. How are you? <laughs> Do we, now, me and Kevin are flexing really hard and shaking hands, just like in Predator. And staring at each other intently in the eyes. Yes. All right, and this is both arousing and arousing. All right, and our our very own Blaine. That's right, oh. Eric Ronnebeck. You know, I was Eric. like of all the people he's gonna go with. Who'd you want to be, Poncho, Mac? I want to be Billy, man. <laughs> Billy, okay. He's the hero. He's like the hero of the movie. Billy is pretty awesome, and he says, "Doesn't he say if he bleeds, you can kill it?" Yes. Yeah, Billy's got the good lines. And then and then he makes himself bleed and he dies. I just wanted to make you gen- <laughs> I just want to make you Jesse the Body Ventura, you know. That's, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's, I guess I can say one thing. It makes you a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, what can I say? That's like the only good oh, line. man. All right. Okay, so are we going to be uh, hunters from the... Uh, um, from the Running Man movie next week? So you can make him Jesse Ventura again? All right. We'll give it time. We'll give it anyway... Uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and uh, get into right into some little NFL news, a little around the NFL. Our opinions on that. Uh, here we go. First one. I got to start with this. The Bengals uh, lost their grievance against AJ McCarron. AJ McCarron is now a free agent. Uh, Sashi Brown died for this. He saved the Browns a first and second round draft pick, and every Browns fan probably should like thank him profusely because he they should have trusted the process. He is now the um, George, the Hinky, the Sam Hinky of uh, of Cleveland Browns football because he died to help the team. So uh, AJ McCarron now free agent. How, okay, Just AJ remember- McCarron on a scale of one, <laughs> on a scale of one to uh, the guy that used to be on Tampa Bay, Mike Glennon. On a scale of one to Mike Glennon, how how is AJ McCarron? Kevin? So when I so we were on the chat and I was like, I can't wait until AJ McCarron gets to be somebody's Mike Glennon, and Nate was like, that's the exact right comp. Yes, that was yeah. that was perfect. He's just gonna back up some rookie quarterback and then like lose or lose his job before the season even starts. Yep. And he's even gonna have uh, flashes where you're like, oh, you know, maybe this guy is gonna win a few games. Yes, he will win three games. All right, uh, let's talk a little Kirk Cousins. Uh, this is like the hot story in the NFL right now. First, I uh, think my favorite quote about Kirk Cousins: "Jets will pay whatever it takes to get Kirk Cousins." And here's my thing: Kirk Cousins is getting a lot of money. He's not gonna play for the Jets for like an extra one million dollars. So they got to re- they're going to they're going to have to really overpay him to get him to come play for that team, right? Like there's no way he wants to be a New York Jets. So I've heard from multiple sources the thing with Kirk Cousins is he has a very good understanding of his own skill set and he has a very good understanding of what allows him to be successful. And Kirk Cousins is going to look after Kirk Cousins. So he's going to go find a team where he feels like he can win. You look at the Jets roster and you decide here, Kevin, how about this? What about this? What if I told you the Jets can offer Kirk Cousins $60 million guaranteed in the first year? That's a fact. That's a real thing they can do. That is mathematically <laughs> that possible. Insane. Yeah, that's that's he, how, you only do that to like back up Patriots quarterbacks. Could he uh <laughs> could he possibly could he possibly just not walk away from that? Is that like two, is that the Godfather offer, the offer you can't resist? I mean, yes. If someone offers you sixty million dollars, you'll play for their mediocre team. That's I mean, for one year, too. That's that's not even like uh, like that's the they're going to give him sixty million dollars in the first. They are not year. going to do, but that, it's going but to yes. be disappointing when the every year after that you're only making twenty two million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that Kirk Cousins would be 
I just don't see him going anywhere other than Jacksonville. They're it's also talking fully out. guaranteed contract. Problem with that's the, nuts. The problem with ja- the problem with Jacksonville. I actually like it. Is because, their line isn't good? No, the problem with Jacksonville is they don't have enough cap room with this. The Bortles thing is now like he locked in for nineteen million or something. Yeah, next that year. Bortles injury sucks. That, that Bortles oh, injury really right. really hosed that last week. Uh, I would say the top contenders for me are number one Vikings. I think the Vikings is like the softest landing spot for him, and also uh, they can offer him quite a bit a pretty penny. Uh, Denver would have been a good landing spot, except for I don't know how they clear enough cap without gutting the team. It just doesn't make sense to me. Agreed. I feel like that's slightly better Jets. And then, uh, so then, yeah, that those are. I don't really understand where else he could go. I'm sorry, I, I can't let that go, Eric. You're they, gonna say with that receiver talent, that's if they got the better. team. If they got if the Denver, had oh, okay, the, okay, Denver okay, had to okay, gut okay. the team, yeah, that's they, fine. If they end up I, having I to excuse like excuse that, okay. Uh, I think he's saying if they have to cut like Demarius Thomas and like a good defensive player to make room for for Cousins, yeah, they're not that much better than yeah. the Jets. I I would agree with that. My uh, I guess I was confused. Jets that, have really good coaching too. Let's not underrate the fact that their coach got a lot out of very little last year. Yeah, and then they true. got rid of that coach because they got rid of Morton, who was the offensive coordinator. who got a lot out of that. Oh, I know. I love Bowles. Um, what about the Vikings? How much money does this team have? They're, they're. I don't want them to. They have aren't any paying money. any of those quarterbacks. Yeah. Anymore. So last year they had like they had like 20, 30, 28, 30, 29 million wrapped up in all those quarterbacks that they have, and all of them are free agents. So a rumor going around is that they're gonna get Cousins and then try to get any one of those other guys back as cheap as possible. So it could be Cousins and then Teddy at five, or get Cousins and AJ McCarron is a guy who that they throw around at like five. You know, pay cousins a lot and then get a backup. They don't want to get in a situation where they're all in on one dude, which is interesting in today's NFL. It's an interesting strategy. That's smart, I think. When will, when will they have to pay their receivers and defensive players? Yeah. They're already paying some. They're already paying most of their defense. Well, not Harrison Smith, but no. That's the thing. That's the guy too. That's the guy that's going to demand you know Strugs, a ton of money. There's the drink. All right. Uh, so that's that's a uh, Kirk Cousins watch for this week. Uh, Nick Foles. Nick Foles is uh, rumored in a lot of trade rumors, and NFL GMs are saying some ridiculous uh, or ex NFL GMs. What was the quote? Who was it's the, what was it? Bill Polian. Bill Polian said two firsts and two seconds. I will hang up on you if your oh offer doesn't start with two firsts and two seconds. And I'll say this: if someone trades two firsts and two seconds for Nick Foles, whoever does that, they should fold the NFL team just like immediately. Just <laughs> pack it up. It's over. Your you your GM just ruined you forever. I didn't realize Dicko was coming out of retirement. Yeah, I was gonna say it's so not bad. worth uh, John Gruden because that's exactly what John Gruden went to Tampa Bay for. No, <laughs> not worth anything. It's not good. Uh, so, yeah, Nick Foles, I, I think he ends up on a different team at the start of next year. What do you guys think? Do you think he'll end? Do you think he's – all right, let's, prediction right now. This is very early predictions. February 20th, 2018, does Nick Foles p- play for the Philadelphia Eagles starting next season? First game. I'm going to say yes. I. That's a bold prediction. I will say yes. Kevin? I will say no, but that price is going to drop. Um, I'm going to go yes too. I'm I'm of the opinion that they would rather have a good backup, and they're going to be scared about injury. You know, coming back from injury is hard. And Carson Wentz. Here's the problem, though. If you have Carson Wentz, he comes back off his knee injury, and he has three bad games, people are going to be dying to get Nick Foles back in there. And that is a bad look for a young quarterback. Especially after losing your quarterback's coach and your offensive coordinator. Right. And so all those guys that made him so good last year. And Doug Peterson's part of that. Don't get me wrong. Because Doug Peterson is an ex-quarterback. He definitely was a big part of making Carson Wentz better. But if they have a quarterback controversy in Week Four next next year, the Eagles could be in real trouble. I I would I would trade Foles just for that reason, just to say Carson's our guy. 
Well, and also you get to improve the team through the draft, which is how you get better. And you could pick up McCarron for about what you're paying fools. Kevin and I had this conversation on the way over here last week about like what is who's better, really, Nick Foles or is it Carson Wentz? And Kevin said that he liked Wentz better because of his ceiling at his age and skill level. And I was saying Nick Foles, after winning a Super Bowl, that can do a lot for a guy. Uh, you know, their coordinators hadn't exactly left yet. I don't know. I feel like at this point you flip a coin. Just like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, Charlie McDennis, flip a coin. That's for the Philadelphia fans. Yeah, the price will come down. Right now, the price seems to be two firsts. That's what I hear everywhere. I think by the by the time the regular season comes around, it'll be a first and a second. And by the time a draft comes around, and at that point, someone will bite. Someone yeah. will. Someone will. All the free agent quarterbacks will have shaken out. It'll go for like a first and a second or a first and a third. Yeah. And I, if you're Philly, I think you do that. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair value. You you ask for two firsts and you hope someone bites because that's dumb. And then you work your way down from there. Exactly. Uh, so. Then the last uh, story I want to talk about is just there's a lot of franchise tag stories. Uh, the Redskins were uh, supposedly going to franchise Cousins. Uh, Cousins said, I will file a grievance uh, with the league. And the Washington, D.C. was like, yeah, you'll probably win that. So we're just not going to do that. Uh, well, then they were like, well, maybe we'll franchise him and trade him. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to let everyone in the NFL know that if you franchise me, I'm not going to work on a long-term deal with anyone. Well, not only that, but he said, I will file against the league. And if you look at the, the text of the franchise, yep. tag, he has a good case. He has a really strong case in front of a neutral arbitrator that they are not they are not acting in good faith if their only intent is to trade him. Uh, Le'Veon Bell. Well, really quickly to back up what you're saying, because the intent as written of the franchise tag is a um, you are signing him to a one year deal as part of a good faith effort in order to create a longer extension. Right. So when you chain it like this, that violates the purpose of the tag. It's not just chaining it. If they were bringing him back for another season and just to play, then then that's different. But they're not. They would be bringing him back specifically to trade him, which is when it gets super dicey and you can't do it. Well, they uh, really snidered this up, didn't they, Ken? They did. (laughs) Pete Snyder. The other one is Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is uh, saying that if he gets franchised, he's not coming back. He will not play football next year. Uh, he wants a long-term deal. He wants to be paid like a running back and a wide receiver put together, which is <laughs> which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But uh, that, that's the most love bell thing I've heard all day. I mean, do I agree that he's more valuable than any other running back in the league? Absolutely. He had 66 catches last year. He ran for a, t- a million yards. I don't know, a lot of yards. He is the mo- one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. He's so patient and he makes great moves and he has this like insane burst of speed that can come out of nowhere. But that doesn't mean that he should make double what the second place guy makes. And then what's the second highest paid running back in the league is Devonta Freeman. And we saw how good that worked out last year for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he got hurt and didn't play a whole bunch. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't want, I would not want nothing to do with, uh, paying him that much and then on from Le'Veon Bell's side it totally makes sense right what's the shelf life of a NFL running back about three more years for him yeah he's got three or four years left he needs to make money now so I I get it from both sides right it makes sense for everyone uh if he has to walk away he has to walk away I hope he ends up in Vince McMahon's XFL all right (laughs) Um, that's that's it Kevin was there any NFL stories you wanted to talk about Uh, yeah there's a really stupid one okay Uh, all right so not surprised you wanted to talk about it that's a fact um so the Chiefs have a player named Laurent Devers Ernie Tardif. Uh, he's petitioning Lies. the NFL to be able to put MD on the back of his jersey because he's a certified physician. And I, for one, really hope it happens because that is hilarious. 
Yeah, um, that's like the whole classic thing where the person's like, call me Dr. Santo. You know, like you like get in their face of it when they get in your face about <laughs> right. it. Right. I didn't, I didn't go to eight really years funny. of medical school to be called Mr. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, you know what they're putting junior? <laughs> hey, if you're putting senior on a jersey, you can put MD on a jersey, Thank right? Thank you. Exactly. It's, it's really funny to me. This is funnier than it should be. This is... Do you think he can run his own concussion protocol? Ooh, Kevin... That's not even that scandalous. Sure, why not? All right. <laughs> I think 10 minutes is plenty to spend on the NFL teams we don't really care about and get to the team that we do really care about, right? Ooh, Se- can I do a hybrid story to transition Seattle us? Seahawks. All right, let's, what's the in-between? Uh, so Chicago released Josh Sitton, who we know as an offensive guard could provide some potential help. He was a possible target last offseason. Um, we have Fant coming back off of injury. Uh, with those two things in mind, what do you guys think about the current state of the offensive line? Should we bring in a guy like Sitton? How much um, money? Well, he was 8 mil last year. It's going to be less because he didn't have a great year. And he's 31. So not super old, but not young. I want to build out our offensive line depth, and I don't really care how we do it. How about that? Is that a good answer? So if he, we can get him for a couple of million, that's worth it to you? Yes. Yep. If he's four, yes. Anything like six million, no. Yeah, I, I mean, think that's reasonable. I mean, if it's at the expense of like using a good draft pick on someone like Will Her- Will Hernandez, I'm no, oh hell no, I'm out. I want, I would much rather have like Billy Price or Will Hernandez or some some uh, you know prospect that I thought was yeah, good. Isaiah Wynn, somebody who has upside. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, uh, so let's go to pure Seahawks news now. Let's talk Doug Baldwin real quick. A couple cool Doug Baldwin stats uh, bubbled to the surface last week. Doug Baldwin had one drop in 76 passes last year, but my favorite one. Uh, Doug Baldwin leads all wide receivers in slot touchdowns since 2015. And it's not even close. Yeah. So when we talked about Doug Baldwin, Kevin, we, we talked about how we wanted him to play more in the slot. And this is a good example of why what what he can do for us as we play in the slot. So what kind of wide receivers uh, would you be looking at just in terms of body type? Uh, like just not – don't give me – you don't have to give me any names. But like just body type. Uh, like what kind of wide receivers do we need to make sure that we can play Doug in the spot where he's more effective than any other player in the NFL? I think probably the biggest thing that we can all agree on is catch radius. Uh, however tall you are, however long your arms are, what it really boils down to is between your height, your length, and your leaping ability, what is the active area in which you can catch the ball? Because that's what's going to make a exceptional outside receiver. You have to be able to make a ball, you have to be able to make a play on the ball, however it's thrown. So like that's what we like about Paul Richardson. The guy has um, a really big catch radius. We want somebody like that. So you're probably looking at somebody who has to be six one or hot or taller, um, who has some vertical ability and probably some. So you're going to look at that leaping number at the combine. Um, if you're talking draft, uh, you're looking at somebody who's probably going to have a higher yards per catch. So taller guys who make down the field catches is going to be your kind of outside receiver. Yep. All right. That's that's it. All right. Perfect. I, you summed it up better than I could possibly imagine. <laughs> I, it needs to be a tall guy. That's what I was going to say. Just a tall guy that can stay on the outside. The thing about Lockett and Baldwin is a little bit overlappy. I feel like they're kind of similar-ish players, you know? So they're good in four wide receiver sets. But when we have to line up with those three guys, and then if Doug gets pushed to the outside, he's not 
and he's not in his best spot, right? And yeah, exactly. Like he could be tricky if I, uh, you know, he's good. He still. could be inside or outside. He and Lockett could switch on audibles. He could go from being like an outside receiver on one side to part of a trip set on the same side, and all that kind of stuff can work out. And you can be like shifty with him because both Lockett and Baldwin can play inside or outside. But if you're just like lining up bests. Man, that's the guy you want as your yeah. slot receiver yeah. day after day. Yeah. You want Doug, you want Doug to just destroy the middle of the field like he is fully capable of doing, running the best routes and just being you know Doug Baldwin. And if Jimmy Graham does not come back, I think that opens up the middle of the field more for him to exercise that ability. All right, fault from fault from last week. Kicker news: Adam Vinatieri really wants to kick next year. How cool would it be to see Seahawks legend Adam Vinatieri <laughs> when he would join the likes of Jerry Rice, Edron James? Franco Harris. Have we done this with anyone else? No, I was going to say, I think you got them all. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I think I think we can get a few more, but eh, that's good enough. I don't know, man. Uh, I'll take 44-year-old Adam Vinatieri. Warren Moon? 40, he'll be 45. Oh, wow. I just threw a number out there, too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean, he was good last year, 88% and 91%. Do you think we could, if he comes in on a low salary, I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Like, you got to bring him in and try to make it happen. If you can get, bring him in and just... Not oh to compete. There is no way we get him on a low salary. John, Let's no. just John, say that. John Reynolds. He only made two point seven million dollars last year. That was the same salary that that Hauschka made the year before he left. Is one point seven acceptable on both sides? If, oh. if he comes in for two million, I'm into it. I'm. So I would down. do two million. Yes. So uh, and Eric, really quickly. Um, so you know he had that long run with New England, right? Yes. How long was with New England? Do you, do you... No, uh, nine years, like 10, 10, 12 years, ten years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know how long he's been with Indy? Uh, the exact same amount of time. 12 years. Well, it's longer, that's right, He's been right, with yeah. Indianapolis longer than he was in New that. England. That's messed up. Which, I don't know, he's still a patriot to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my um, last story, I think, uh, Richard Sherman is on Twitch playing uh, Fortnite all the time. So if you want to, like, and he responds to your questions. Like, he, if you go onto his Twitch channel while he's playing Fortnite, you can just start asking him questions and stuff, he will answer. I, I'm telling you, it's interesting. And he'll add, he'll add people who are watching him to play games with him and stuff. So if you want to play Fortnite on the Xbox One with Richard Sherman... That's your chance. Uh, follow him on Twitch and, uh, you know, show him some love. I mean, he's just, he's just out there having fun. And now he, that he's his own agent, he can speak for himself in all ways. He was playing with Mike Davis yesterday, too, which is pretty cool. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah. All right. That's it. That's all my Seahawks stuff I want to talk about. Kevin, anything that you think that we should talk about? Uh, no. All this can be pushed. Eric? Let's go. Let's all go right. into our indoor right. draft so special. We're going to go into our uh, our. Front four. So we're going to talk this week about defensive ends, defensive tackles, the front four of the Seahawks offense. Defense, sorry. The Seahawks run a 4-3 base defense. Uh, so the positions that matter here, we have two defensive ends, uh, which they call one a Leo, right, Kevin? And the Seahawks defense when they run it. And then they have the three technique and a five technique defensive tackle. Am I doing this right? Uh, so the Leo is. I. Uh, that's the that's the guy on the far left. That could be you. Yeah. So I uh, normally <laughs> let's look at this way. You, you like you like how you like how I put that. That was very technical. That when I'm watching the play, that's the guy on the top of the screen. The and the left <laughs> defensive end in this set tends to be your pass rushing defensive end, whereas your right defensive end is more likely to be. Um, switch it. Switch it. Switch it. Or, yeah. Sorry. It's your right way. defensive end is working against the uh, yep. right tackle, right. Yeah, because it's right in position to the offense. Yeah. So that tends to be your lighter guy. Your left guy, your uh, left defensive end has to be able to anchor. Yeah, so you're talking our, Michael Bennett would be our left defensive end, correct? And Cliff Haver will be our right defensive end correct. to go to previous years. Got it. And then, uh, like when we when we switch our 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 offense around, you know, like we'll, they'll put Averill on the left, and then they'll put 
Frank Clark on the right, and then they'll push Bennett in to play defensive tackle on rush downs. Uh, or, I mean, pass downs, sorry. And that's your three-technique spot, which is your pass-rushing defensive tackle as much as there is one. And so, going into next year, okay, our, let's, like, project a little bit, okay? Bennett's going to be back. I think that some there's some there's some uh, hearsay that he might not be back. Kevin, do you believe Bennett is is back next year? I think as of right now, roster is constructed. He's back. Eric, yeah, I don't see him leaving. I know that he's kind of he hasn't put out that he wants to go. He's kind of put out like this Eeyore. Well, they're probably going to cut me. Uh, I don't I don't see that happening Kay. this year. So if he says they're probably going to cut me, he says that in a sad voice. We only save like three million dollars by cutting him. I think it'll he be wants, next year. That I think he cut. wants to be cut because he's only getting paid eight million dollars, and he he probably thinks that he can get one more huge contract at Which that point. I don't point. think he can. I think like maybe he'll get one year at nine million, but then the rest won't be there. I think this is his ride off into the sunset. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. Yeah, Thirty-two years old is fifty-fifty. Yeah. I mean, um, I know I realize what that he may want more money, but it's the negotiation tactic is not there. All right, and Jaron Reed has basically locked up the uh, run-stopping defensive tackle position. Yeah, that's uh, your five tech. That's your five tech. He's he's uh he's, you know, he's everything we imagined he could be on first and second down. He's becoming the player we hoped, right? And when we draft that first year was up and down, right? We saw flashes of it. Last year I felt like he got more consistent, but still wasn't great. I think this year is the year he makes the leap. Like this is the year he's he's going to be the guy. Last year he was our most consistent run stopper on the defense. Period. Like that. That's full stop. Uh, he had the most uh, run stuffs, which are uh, stops for uh, zero or negative yards in the run game. Um, to go with you know some decent supplemental pass rush, like he can clean up a situation if the quarterback has to scoot up. He really, like I think you said perfectly he flashed everything we want to see if he could put that in game in game out then he's everything that we thought we were drafting yeah all right so do we want to dive wait, more wait, wait, into wait, the wait. ends or the oh, tackles wait. right no, now i was gonna say let's just keep going like with the guys who are currently on the roster okay last year we had sheldon richardson as our as our three technique defensive tackle i thought he was the defensive mvp um i thought he had a really great season other than bobby don't get on me about that obviously bobby's better but he was the non-bobby wagner my defensive mvp so then Sheldon, is he back next year? Has he played his last game in a Seahawks uniform? Is it is it over? If we franchised him, how much would that cost us? A lot, too much, way too much. Like eight million, ten million? What would it be thirteen million? I'm I'm throwing out a number. Well, I'm this is my stalling. Uh, you have to you have to average the top five defensive tackle salaries. So um, here, let me look up defensive tackles on the spot. All right, I think so really like quickly 13. to filibuster. Um, so among defensive linemen, he was our highest rated alongside. Uh, By the way, not Deion Jordan in a modern Stupid contract drags this way up. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Uh, so it's like, why are they paying in Dominic and Sue quarterback money? 34, 34 plus twenty six, sixty plus another thirty, ninety. So ninety divided by six, it's like fifty. What's that? That no, was ninety. It'd be like fifteen. That's like fifteen million. Okay, so yeah, that's yeah, a lot. It's very high. That's way too much. Yep. Man, Donald Sue contract sucks. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, I uh, okay. So we can be thankful that we don't have to pay Andomakan Sue's contract, and also yeah, franchise. Oh, it's actually is out. way more. It's actually like eighteen million. It's because of Nottam Kong Su. It's dragging it way up. So if we're doing Sheldon Richardson, um, he's gonna get paid like eight to ten million, isn't he? Yeah, no more. More like, like, like 13? 10, 11, probably. Uh, I don't think we have ten million to pay him. I wish we did. We have fourteen. We can jump it up into the mid twenties if we uh, cut Averill and Lane. Lane's already cut. So 
that would be almost all of our money for re-signings and for free agency. Like we, we, We'd be putting everything in on Sheldon Richardson. I feel like they need to get creative in some way. And, you know, every year the cap goes up. Has that number been revealed yet for 2018? No, but I mean, Sheldon Richardson had a 5.4 grade against the run last year. He had 26 run stops. I mean, he was a very – he had six more run stops, according to Pro Football Focus, than Reed even. So he, he was really good last year. Like, I cannot stress this enough. Like, I, I don't know. I was – I, I would kill to have him back, but I just don't think it's possible, right? It's Even if we cut Cliff and... Well, I think Eric has a good point. The final cap number is going to impact this somewhat, but like if we he's only, also not going to last that long. But also, if we only have, like, what, $3 million to play around with after, like, say we sign him for $11 million, $9 million, if we only have $3 million to play with, last year taught us that, that is not enough. Okay, what's your guys' number? What do you bring him back at? Ten. I mean, I don't know. I'm stretching though. I would stretch to bring him back. I think he's that good. He's 26. Also, if you could, if you could somehow fudge the numbers and guarantee him money, I think nine would be great. Yeah, I would also go up to ten. I'm with you on that because again, we'll have 26. If we bring him back, that's going to be a big chunk of our money. But I think that's fine. Like that's what you have that money for. Well, you have three, four years of really good Sheldon Richardson. All right. So then. Uh, Sheldon Richardson, we talked about that now. Cliff Averill, uh, he's like a deadlock to get cut at this point, right? That, so that means I think he's going to have to be. Frank him. Clark will take his starting spot, and it was eventually going to happen anyway, right? So well, with his injury, and I'm sorry, bad. Cam's contract becoming guaranteed for next year, it's I feel like Cliff is now, you know, pushed out. I also think Frank Clark showed up to play last year. He was our other consistent starting defensive end out, uh, alongside Michael Bennett, and he put up numbers all year. He had nine sacks, which led the team. Uh, he was really productive in both the pass and the run. Um, you know, he made a lot of stops. He showed that he had enough um, conditioning to be able to play a lot of snaps. All right. Uh, then, another two, then the next two players would be Malik McDowell and Nazare Jones. Here's the thing for me, Kevin, and I, maybe you don't agree with this. Maybe you do. Let me hear your thoughts. They're both in position to take that Sheldon Richardson spot if they develop. But Malik McDowell is a complete unknown, and Nazare Jones played, like, what, five games, six games? Not very many games last year. So do, do the Seahawks need to bring in depth at that position, or would you be willing to roll the dice with just those two guys as your three technique to defensive tackle? So the big problem for me is, I, first of all, Naz Jones um, plays both. Uh, three technique and uh, five technique. Right. It depends on the down. It depends on the down. And he's capable of playing in either spot. He can be a run stuffing guy. And that's something that he's working on because he's kind of taller and ang- more angular. But uh, I think Sheldon Richardson's re-signing depends on whether or not the team thinks Malik McDowell can play. I would agree completely with that. If they think Malik McDowell is good to go, then I think we're probably looking at Sheldon Richardson being out. But... Malik McDowell still has not been cleared from his concussion. That cannot be overstated. We're coming up on an extreme long-term injury. And so the question becomes, is this a is this a draft pick spent on a player that will never suit up? Yeah, Bob Condota reported like just last week that his future is still in doubt. He's there there hasn't been a setback, but there's no timetable for a return either. And they like, haven't even said exactly what happened. That's what bothers me too. I mean it's Technically, none of our business, but this is a guy who had a severe head contusion. It's, it's a total drag because the second round of draft picks are really valuable. And 
I don't. And go back has, on Blake Bell. Like, with a ton of potential. I too. want him to succeed, but like it sucks that it's you know that this is what happened so bad. So. Yes, to, to answer your question, if we think Malik McDowell is going to be able to suit up, then you're looking at uh, Jaron Reed, Nazir Jones, Malik McDowell, and Quentin Jefferson as a four-man rotation at defensive tackle. I can do that. I can be down with that. You think you think Quentin Jefferson is more of a DT than a D, DE? Like I, I think he's a I think he's a three tech that can play a run stopping defense. I feel like he's like needed. a reverse Michael Bennett, where he like is like slightly better at DT, but he kind of covers both, so the team keeps him around. Agreed. <laughs> He's not like great at either. Because he's a bigger guy. He's like 6'4, 290. Like he's got size. All right. Then we have a couple, besides Quentin Jefferson, we have a couple RFAs Brandon Jackson and Deion Jordan. Uh, Deion Jordan is certainly coming back. He's the, our backup defensive end. He's going to play a lot of rushdowns and push Bennett back inside. Uh, that con- that thing that is so exciting to me that Deion Jordan really is coming around. Uh, he put himself together a season in limited play. Yeah, it's the kind of it's the kind of signing we've been asking for for years, right? Take on a reclamation project and make him good. They they did it. They they took Deion Jordan. He was a total reclamation project. Now we're gonna get um, what one year out of him at six hundred thousand dollars next year. And if he's good again, then he'll get paid and we won't have him. But who cares? Like we got to to get that one season at six hundred thousand dollars, right? With reclamation projects, it's funny. You're either going to have this situation where the guy reclaims and he's got a chance to prove himself again and do something good for us. Or whatever Greg Robinson did on the Jaguars last year. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, you have like uh, uh, Big Mike Williams, you know, a guy who put together a an above average season uh, coming out of nowhere and then just kind of fell off the radar. And then you have what we've had in the past where... It's just a bad move. Nothing happens. Yeah, like Luke Jokel. Yes, exactly, Kevin. Mediocrity I, overpaid. And I feel like we were do this, and it's great. Um, I I always wonder. Yeah, there's going to be another one this year. I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, we can throw out some names, but it'll be fun to see what you know. Pete Carroll comes up with. Well, is that the next step? Do we want to talk about who might be well, next on the list? There's one more defensive lineman on the roster. He played zero snaps last year. His name's Noble Nutwak. No, I can't say his name. Watchwell. And he played went to West Virginia. And uh, I don't think he has a clear path to make the roster if we draft, like, any defensive tackles. But if the team just doesn't add any depth, this is probably a guy's name you're going to see a lot in the preseason. So yeah, Kevin, he'll be you, Garrison Smith. Yeah, he's, as that, that's that's what you see out of him. Like, he could be a Garrison Smith. He could be a guy who fills out the very back end of a rotation. He's just uh, – my memory of him from uh, going through draft stuff was that he's someone whose athletic ability um, is fringy. Okay. And so it's one of those, like, uh, for that reason, he's the kind of person who, you know, like, you might take raw depth in order to be able to develop in, into more of a player than uh, Watch would be. Yeah, I mean, he's he's like a 23-year-old guy who didn't – he's undrafted free agent, right? But he's sticking around in the NFL. He was on the 49ers. Now he's on the Seahawks. Uh, he, For me, like, he looks short. Like from when I look at pictures of videos of him and stuff, so I don't know. Maybe that's why he hasn't quite made it yet. Anyway, yeah, he also lacks like the length that you want, if I remember yeah. correctly. So let's go into guys that we could use to bolster depth. Uh, first, let's start with this, Kevin. Uh, actually, Eric. Eric, do you think there's any chance that we use a super high draft pick uh, to bolster this position group? You mean first round, the one, the highest pick we right. had because we don't have a second and right. third round? Or like a first rounder trading down to second round and then using the second round pick on it. I absolutely think that is possible. All right. What, what is, makes you feel that way? Uh, because I watch uh, what the Seahawks do now that Pete Carroll and John Schneider run the team. I mean, let's face it. <clears throat> looking at the Holmgren era, 
And this was a successful era for the Seahawks. Not as successful as we have now. But you had a uh, the thing where, you know, we would need a guard. We would need this or that. And Holmgren's group would take the best player available. So let's just say, what was it, 2004, 2003, we took Marcus Trufant. We didn't need a cornerback at that time. And I was like, Marcus Trufant's going to be really good. Why are we getting this guy? We don't need a cornerback. Turned out one of our cornerbacks was gone. Trufant stepped in. Trufant was great for us. It works out. P. Carroll and John Schneider, they have a situation where they target, you know, three position groups and they look at the best player on their board at that group where they'll say this is the number one player on our board so we as uh fans and seahawks nest people will say man it'd be really great if we could get the best offensive lineman available or if this running back slips but we also know that pete carroll and john schneider are crazy about defense they would be i think it would be remiss of them to not even you know, salivate over a defensive tackle, a big defensive lineman. I almost expect them to go with that in this first pick, either a first round or second. And uh, so, Kevin, uh, so obviously we don't have a second round pick because of this stupid trade thing that I, I'm just like, it's just so. I can't uh, believe there's no, there's no re- kind of like. Uh, because Jeremy Lane from- isn't an MD and couldn't just pass his own physical. <laughs> I just can't believe the NFL hasn't come out and done something about it. With all the, you know, Richard Sherman was injured talk that we had last year. And it's really oh, weird to well, me. No, I, I don't mean to bring Well, and, and let's let's be real about this, too. This is not a position where the Seahawks are going to try to improve it through free agency. We already have, like, the, the top-end guys. If we add free agents, they're going to be budget guys, right? I they're, don't know. Like, uh, do you think Coney Ely is going to be paid that much? Or Aaron Lynch? I think those are good. Uh, I think those are good rotation players. Right, but like those guys are going to come for like one and a half million dollars. Like that, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like we're not going to go out and get Demarcus Lawrence. We're not going to go sign Ezekiel Ansah. We're not going to go get. Um, I don't know who the best defensive tackle uh, guy is. We're not going to go get Don Terry Poe or Kyle Williams or you know any. But of do these... you think we might go get like Starlo Tulele or something? What do you think the market value of Starlo Tulele is? He's still only 28. Like I could imagine he's coming him. off of a couple of kind of See, down really? seasons. I don't think he's gonna pay that much. I thought he was like thirty three. I think he could get like borderline Sheldon money, like eight million dollars. Oh hell no! Then that's mm. not happening. Yuck. Yeah. So th- that's in fact I will I'll I'll die on that hill. If people want to call me out on that, but I really think that yeah he's gonna get like eight million because he was a very impactful player for those first couple of years, and I think teams are gonna be like, well, we could recapture that fire. We'll get him with our medical team, and he won't get hurt as much. Uh, fair enough they could say that yeah, yeah. The, the, i don't that's how the nfl works you're right i don't feel as strongly about nfl medical staffs as i do about like in the nba like if you get a guy and he ends up on the phoenix suns you're like oh he might get good again because the phoenix suns somehow rejuvenate everyone so <laughs> it's that dry heat uh, yeah so yeah i would expect i would suspect we're going to be more likely to improve try to improve this position through the draft than through the uh you, you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to... Okay. My brain's not working. I had a kid last week. Come on. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so uh, to answer your question about using an early round pick, the thing is, if you're not drafting in the top 12, then I'm not really sure who you're using the early round pick on. Uh, Bradley Chubb's going to go super high up, and he's the only like true pure pass rusher uh, from a 4-3 defensive end position in this draft. Uh, Arden Key is a guy whose motor comes and goes out of LSU, and Harold Landry is more like an outside linebacker um, that's most that's used to playing with his hand in the ground. And so those are the three 
round one defensive ends. And honestly, out of those three, I think all of them have a good chance of being off the board by the time we draft. Hmm. Even though Arden Key's motor comes and goes, he's just kind of got the bend and flex. He's like the kid that uh, Chicago picked up out of the draft from uh, Georgia, uh, Floyd. Um, for defensive tackles, it's possible there's somebody there, but like the top defensive tackles, you're looking at uh, Vita Vea out of Washington, um, Taven Bryan out of Florida, and Maurice Hurst out of Michigan. And all of those guys offer some up- upside as a pass rusher, but it wouldn't be super shocking if all of them or two out of the three were off the board by the time he drafted. I could see maybe Hurst falling because he's undersized. Um, and Vea was inconsistent in his results, but he's such a like a freak yeah, I think Vea's size going speed guy that's going to take top, a flyer. He's going in the top ten just because he's of his size. Like that's the that's the thing about Vita Vea. He's people are going to be like, oh well, he could be like Danny Shelton, and that's actually fair. <laughs> so, yeah. So then they're they're going to just he's he's a pretty special player. A team with that runs a three four in the top ten is going to be like, I need this guy. I need him on my team, and I yeah. don't blame him. That's he's perfect for a three four nose tackle. Yes. Um, well, so. what about uh, the idea that the Seahawks will trade out of the first round to get themselves a couple more? picks maybe you know a second and a late third rounder um as we start getting in the third round that's when i think there's some really interesting names to I, look at i have a couple a- a- inside or outside yes Ooh, you got some inside and some outside guys all right let's i have one inside guy i want to fire at kevin right. just because i, I read up and i realized that the guy who doesn't watch college football in this room uh, i still know what makes a good player uh tell me kevin would seattle be interested in in uh, I, Tim Settle, is that his name? Uh, out of Virginia Tech? Yes. Uh, just kicked in, yo. Tim Settle, in my opinion, is going to go in the second because he can play nose. Okay. And so He's some, really uh, a 3-4 team yes, is, is going to draft him higher than we're going to want him in a 4-3 scheme. He's a really interesting player, and he will definitely like screw up the other team's run That's game a, big I time. Know he, I know he's a 3-4 guy, but he also can... He can give you pass rush from the inside as well, stop the He's run. He's got some straight-up bull rush. He's just power. In our defense, I think it would be interesting. We've put a lot of emphasis just out of you know natural uh, kind of necessity uh, on our defensive ends, and we've had we've had luck with uh, you know Michael Bennett being able to be so versatile. I think it would be really interesting if the Seahawks – I shouldn't say interesting. I think that they would maybe want to get more pressure up the middle. Um, seeing how it worked for it last year, worked so for us you, last year. Let me give you one, two names. One thing I'm oh, thinking, Eric, is that I'm um, just to respond to that. Like yeah. last year, we drafted two guys who were thought of as pass rushing defensive tackles. So I would be surprised if we invested in the exact same kind of player again. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Uh, unless the team so. is just full on, just like Mal- Malik McDowell's a bust, and we're not getting, we're getting literally nothing for that pick. That's it's why just a total I thought wash. about it though, just because. It, like a redo on the pick? Yeah, it kind of it worked out for us, but it backfired at the same time. You know, like we had to bring Sheldon Richardson in. I'd be I'd be more interested in bringing in a defensive end that rushes or a defensive tackle that's okay. good against the run. Does that no? That does, makes does that, does that the does reasoning make sense. make sense? It's a good argument. All right, so let me give you a couple of guys that I think are proven. These are my Jaron Reeds guys. Where you look at them, you go, "This guy can play against the run," and I can see where the pass rush might come from. And. It was easy to scout these players because they're on the same team. And that's Justin Jones and B.J. Hill out of NC State. Yeah, Those will be like, they're going to be probably somewhere between the third and the fifth round. Uh, 
So Justin Jones runs 6'2", about 3'10". Um, when you watch him on film, though, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up a little smaller than that on the final measurables. Uh, BJ Hill is 6'3", about 320. Um, he's got really good. He's got some very Jaron Reed-esque size for both of these people. So uh, Jones didn't play as many snaps, but he has a lot of productivity to show for it. Uh, so he knows how to kind of get skinny and slash. Uh, so he's good at kind of shedding blocks and getting in there on the run play or kind of knifing in if there's like a moving pocket to be able to create some pass rush pressure. And BJ Hill has a lot of power. Um, both of these guys can kind of win one-on-one battles, and they're both good at shedding blocks. They've also played on ensemble-style defensive lines. That's that's my thing. Is that, Kevin, you said you said a couple things right there that was exactly what I was thinking. Is that how much of this is that they always got to play one-on-one because they were playing next to Bradley Chubb, and they they all they get. I mean, they, it makes your job easier, right? When you play against the the otherworldly talent at defensive end, right? Honestly, I think Bradley Chubb benefited quite a bit from playing with All right, them. That's fair. The whole defensive line for NC State was really good. It is. It is a good defensive line, but I almost think that makes them more prepared for the NFL, where you're looking at other people do their job. You need to be disciplined because if you're playing with Bradley Chubb, you don't want to be out of your lane because you know he's going to be doing his thing. Yeah. So if you screw up your lane discipline, they're just going to come straight through your house. And so you have to play like NFL style discipline, uh, maintain gap integrity, maintain your lanes. And so in that way, they might be a little more NFL ready. All right. Hmm. So uh, those are a couple of guys. Otherwise, I think you go way down the board. You look at a guy like Nathan Shepard out of Fort Hayes State or Eddie Wilson out of Purdue or uh, James Looney out of Cal that are maybe like you're taking them on potential. They'll play minimal snaps this coming season uh, as, like, very, very fringe depth. And then you're more looking at what they could be like in a season or two. And those are guys that you might be drafting in, like, the uh, sixth or seventh round. And that's what I'm seeing at defensive tackle. They're going to show up maybe, like, the following year after being on the practice squad? Uh, They'll probably be on the team. But you're not going to see them get more than maybe like, you know, 10% of snaps in a game. Uh, just because they're just not ready. Like, they're, they're, some of them need a little bit more strength, or some needs more technique to really be able to do it. They're those guys that will drive you nuts because you'll look at them get blown completely out of their hole or like completely miss an assignment because they just don't have the snaps under their belt. And what did you not like about the guy from Stanford, Kevin? We were kind of making a joke, uh, Harrison. Harrison Phillips is going to get drafted in like the second round, okay. and he's a great fourth or fifth round defensive tackle. Ah. That's my opinion on him. Okay. Uh, some people like you just think he's oh like over scouted over. Some people think that he's a really good pass rusher because he had some productivity. He has one pass rush move. He has a really like solid bull rush. So my question is like, I, uh, you know, how good would you feel about a run stopping defensive tackle at the end of the first round? No. That's not exactly what I want. Oh, and if I was going to do that, yeah. like I would probably just go ahead and blow the 19th pick on uh, on Hurst. Yeah, Maurice. If Maurice Hurst is sitting around, that's I think the defensive tackle that we could get. Kevin, he's a pass rushing Kevin, tech. You know, I'm. You not. I mean, yeah, he's. The you want to talk defensive ends? Because I know, I know one that you like. I I want to talk about Hercules Matsafa because I will take any opportunity <laughs> to do this, Kevin. Um, here we go. He's six foot one. He's two hundred forty pounds. He probably doesn't have an NFL position, but it doesn't matter. No one has a faster first step, and no one has like more insane like old man strength 
than Hercules <laughs> Mataafa. Um, I would love to see the Seahawks take a late round flyer or mid round flyer on him. Uh, the thing that's weird is you look at his draft projections and some sites are like he's second or third rounder because the production's really good and then some sites are like he's tiny and he's barely going to get drafted so it's really going to come down to how does he measure out at the combine and is someone willing to try to fit him in to an NFL system but I will from watching him for two years you know because he's a redshirt sophomore (laughs) uh, he he has something it's just weird you just watch him and you're like that guy's tiny why is he playing defensive tackle i don't understand it doesn't make any sense and then he just he'll throw a guy around or like blow by a dude and you're just like oh i get it now he's just really disruptive on every single play and the thing is is that the washington state defensive line was not super good there's like one other really good player so he he's like you know they're keying in on him it's not like he gets to go one-on-one every play he, he has to beat you know schemes trying to beat him and he still was able to do it so um i was surprised he came out to be honest with you i would have liked I think to see because grinch was gonna was gone yeah and so he didn't want to deal with whatever's gonna happen agreed i i think he was likely to you know get an, i just wanted him to have another year to develop his body to be completely honest to put on 20 more pounds and become a real nfl prospect now i have no idea what what's gonna happen but i don't, I don't know i want him to play on my team because he was my favorite player on my favorite college team last year so 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 that's that's where I'm at on that one. Uh, you know, you can talk about any other defensive and slash defensive tackle prospects you want. I'll come back to Hercules Mataafa because he's in a specific group for me. Okay. So I, uh, I'm looking at. There's a few guys. Uh, this draft, in my opinion, lacks uh, short area quickness on the defensive line, which is the thing that matters most to me. Like Don't you have to be define... like quick in a phone booth. Okay. So are you talking like? Getting off your spot into your into the side of the offensive lineman let, to do let your me move. Add something to what Kevin's saying is there are guys that can do that, but they're they're not real defensive ends. There are guys that like either have like Mataafa who's too small, or like guys who probably are three four outside linebackers and not real defensive ends. Like anyone who's actually really fast, or they're getting drafted in the top ten, or they're Bradley Chubb, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're Arden Key, or they're exactly. Or the guys who aren't very good, they're the guys that almost fall forward into their blocker to, Key, man. to buy time. So what you're talking about here so is uh, if you have great short area quickness as a defensive lineman, that's that first step. How do you get off the ball? Then it's also like if you're trying to go, there's something called like turning speed into power and then power into speed. Mm-hmm. So basically like what's their drive as a downhill runner? And can they um, get past an offensive lineman? The second part of that is, if I'm engaged with the guard, can I, do I have the short area quickness to be able to separate, take a half a step, and put my weight into the halfback to make a run stop? With the thing that you see Jaron Reed and like all of our defensive line do all the time. Um, can I uh, squeeze down on the line and then sprint to follow a quarterback on a zone read. Like, these are all things that you have to be able to do. Like, you don't have to be huge in the 40-yard dash, but you need to be quick in the five-yard dash. And when you're moving around that kind of weight, there's not a lot of players that do it, which is why I could see us looking at some small school people that maybe aren't getting the hype, but have some ability. So a couple of guys I want to look at, there's Rasheem Green out of USC. Clearly not a small school person. So he's 6'4", about 275. Um, This is a Michael Bennett clone. This is a guy who can play inside, outside. He has really good speed and quickness. He might go a little higher because his potential is way above his productivity. Yeah. But he could potentially be an elite level um, 
defensive and defensive tackle. He, the thing about Rasheem Green is you're right. He's like caught in a weird spot where he's between two positions, right? He's probably he's fast for a defensive tackle, kind of slow for a defensive end, and he's small for a defensive tackle and kind of big for a defensive end. And it makes me think he's going to end up as a defensive end on a three four team and yep. be, and be super good because that's like that's what those tweener guys. That's where they need to end up. They need to end up at playing defensive end in a three four. But people would say that about Bennett and Bennett has made hay as a four three. Bennett has cra- Bennett has has mastered his craft for sure. I agree. Well, and he, it took him a while to do it too. I mean, he he landed with us. He was fine. He went to Tampa Bay. Now he's big Michael Bennett with us. The raw like yeah. the raw physical talents for Rasheem Green are there. I and think uh, Chad Thomas out of Miami team. is very similar in that way as far as that same size, speed combination, a guy who could offer some three technique versatility, but he's another guy I saw who I think has the short area quickness to be a player in our rotation system. Yeah, the 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 last guy you said had really 10 sacks, right? Like the US USC yes. player, but then Chad Thomas had like very not good production. When you look at that, Kevin, does that bother you that he wasn't able to produce at the college level, or do you do you just care more about the raw physical tools when you know, you're scouting a player? I look at four and a half sacks. So let's take a look at that. So it's ten sacks versus four and a half, right? Yeah. But they both had twelve and a half tackles for a loss, and uh, Chad Thomas had thirty pressures to Rasheem Green's thirty-two. So I'm seeing someone who's maybe not finishing quite as much. And when I look at the number of missed tackles, I see he has twice as many missed tackles. So I'm looking at a Chad Thomas's in a system like Seattle where we teach people how to wrap and tackle yeah. well. Uh, the things that are preventing him from finishing are things that I think that we're good at coaching him into. Yeah. So I feel like on our staff, he could have success. Sweet. Yeah, that's kind of what I was I was looking for. Like, is like what is what is going to make him work for us? Because he was not super productive at the last level. Yeah. Um, what about the de- what about the Ohio State defensive ends? I don't like them. You don't like them. What, 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 <laughs> what and there? What don't you like specifically? What don't you like about them? Okay, so Sam Hubbard's going to go higher than I think we're willing to draft I'm him. About Jalen Holmes and Tyquan Lewis, and the ones that are in the middle. Exactly, and Tyquan Lewis, um, Tyquan Lewis is short without the length that I think that you want. And when you watch him on film, you can get into his chest a lot. And when a good offensive lineman gets into your chest, they're going to control you. You become a marionette. That's a big problem. Jalen Holmes has better size, but his productivity is not great. Um, And I feel like someone might reach for him. So I just kind of – I don't think they're quite as good as, like, Rasheem Green or uh, Thomas – but I think they're going to go in around the same value. If we ended up with Jalen Holmes, I mean, you know, I trust our scouting department more than I trust me. But when <laughs> I'm looking at it, this is what I'm seeing. And then what? Uh, so th- your last shot here, Kevin. Who are your other guys or your other group of guys that we could that you are looking at towards the uh, the end of the draft? Right. This is your end of draft, guys. All right. So we're left. looking towards the end of the draft. Uh, Mike Love out of South Florida is a guy who is extremely productive in small school. Uh, a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of pressures. Um, really good against the pass and the run. And He's about 6'4", 260, which is a good size for that smaller D end. And people are talking up the South Florida and Central Florida defensive players now. Like, now that the season's over, they're Those like, are good oh, defenses. These were, these were really good defensive players, which is cool for Shaquem Griffin and... Uh, you know, Mike Love and Bruce Hector and all these guys that were on these those teams. And then Justin Lawler out of Southern Methodist. Um, he's a player who kind of lacks elite physical tools, but he's kind of a high motor guy. If you're going to take someone in the very uh, towards the end of the draft who's going to kind of fill out a defensive end rotation, he's a good guy to do that, and he'll come in and play special teams for you. All right, parting shots before we go. Anyone? Uh, really quickly, uh, the other two people I want to talk about are Bruce Irvins. 
Okay. Guys, I think they could play a strong side linebacker for some snaps and then come in as a Russian on third down. Okay. That is Hercules Mataafov to me. Oh, wow. Because he played a lot of, he played mostly defensive tackle for WSU. He played mostly three technique, but if you watch the way that he was used, it was not uncommon to see him drop back in coverage and then delayed blitz. They did a lot of things with him. And really, as of right now, he is a a heavy handed, uh, strong, twitch fast, which, you know, you want to talk about burst and short area speed. This guy has it to every extent and it's lacking in this draft. He has no position on the football field. The problem for him is if if this guy was he is Jabril Peppers. If he was six four two eighty, this guy would be a top ten pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, he'd be it's, Maurice Hurst with more speed. Right. He had twenty one and a half tackles for loss last year, which is insanely productive. So yeah, I don't, yeah. And, and the other person who I think is in a similar mold is Kylie Fitz out of Utah, who is a guy who just could not stay healthy in college. But when he was healthy, he showed really strong pass rush ability and um, really solid uh, run-stopping ability. He's another person around that Bruce Irvin size that I think we could use as a rush end or as an outside linebacker. Yeah, he was super productive all the way back to his sophomore year, right? Yep. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty sweet. When you see that like consistent college production, that the Seahawks really love that stuff. That's, exactly. that's something they look for consistency all right so uh that's that's it for the defensive line uh money zone if you want to help us out you can head over to patreon.com slash seahawks nest here's some exclusive podcasts during the season and some exclusive off-season content also uh, for as little as a dollar 24 a month i don't know why i didn't say that uh also if you want to support us without money you could follow us on twitter twitter.com slash seahawks nest or facebook.com slash the seahawks nest also head over to stitcher soundcloud google play podcast spotify wherever you get your podcasts and just give us the highest rating possible because it makes me so happy. All right, that's that's it. Um, yeah, that's it. Time for movie club. Movie club. Movie club was tough this week. It was really hard for me to decide what to do. Um, I really struggled with movie club this week because I really wanted to pick a movie that I know Kevin hasn't seen, and I wasn't sure if Eric has seen it either. <laughs> yes. So um, Annihilation releases this week. Uh, you guys have have you guys seen the trailer for Annihilation? Yes. Starring Natalie yes. Portman. And uh, the director of Annihilation, direct his, this is only his second uh, effort as a director. And do you guys know his first effort? Jeff, uh, Jeff, or sorry, uh, I don't know why. Yeah, because they show it on all the ads, but I can't think of what it, you know what his, it is. What Alex Garland's first effort was? It was the movie Ex Machina. So have oh, you, damn it. So have either of you guys seen Ex Machina? Uh, Kevin and I were just talking about this last week. I missed it before it. Uh, I didn't get to see it before it left Amazon Prime. I wanted to. Okay. I thought the cast looked really good. Kevin, you didn't watch it either. I have not seen it. It is in my dead years of movies when I was still super house poor. It was only twenty. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Uh, yeah, I bought the house in twenty thirteen. So yeah. it was twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. <laughs> I was going to say you're dead. I didn't get to see movies. Your dead thing spans longer than that, though. I feel like even it's like the late. Well, 2000s. There's like two sets of dead scenes. So yeah. there's late two thousands, and then like I saw movies again for about two or three years, and then carrying about the house, and I missed about two more years again, like twenty thirteen, twenty. 14. Kevin saw the movie North in theaters when he was like 16, <laughs> and he just said, I'm done with movies. We don't want Hugh. What? <laughs> Did it's you a just, North joke. Wow. <laughs> I just remember, I just, the movie came out of nowhere. Come on, well, Nathan, we got another one. <laughs> so that the thing is, is that the Alex Garland also wrote Dread, which is like, so I think it all comes full circle to back to as always. Every watch always talk about dread. Watch dread, please. Uh, <laughs> dread is so good. Dread it's is our so good. dread is our favorite movie. 
All right, so give us the pitch. Why do we want to watch Ex Machina? Um, Aside from the really good I actually cast. was going to take as an opportunity to... I was hoping you guys really liked it because I thought it was just okay. <laughs> so I was going to be like, uh, yeah, it's it's really high concept, but it's kind of slow-ish and uh, weird. And so... <laughs> you know, I didn't see the movie, but I know it... Uh, from what I saw, it looked like it there all are, took place in one... Ladies and gentlemen, other weeks, other weeks is your brain on sleep. This... This, Nathan, is your brain on no sleep. This is... Okay, here's the thing about this movie, okay? Here's the thing about this movie is that they wanted to make, like, a conventional thriller, but, like, have, like, literally no action in it. Like, this movie has less than no action. I can't... I can't... Well, okay, there is action. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no... But it's very... The premise for the movie. Go over the premise. Slow. It's basically... A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a breathtaking humanoid AI. Yeah. Is this the same plot as her? It's a lady robot. No, it's a- Ava. It's like this... It's like a... It's Alicia Vikander, and she's like a sexy robot. Uh, <laughs> who are the... Who are the... We don't talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> I'm done. Uh... Can we just make this uh, podcast about... Uh, All Don- right, we're going to talk Don- about Sherlock Gnomes. Um, can we talk about our favorite robot movie? How about that? Uh, all right. Go ahead, Eric. What's your favorite robot movie, and why is it Transformers oh Revenge of the Fallen? <laughs> <laughs> this, is oh, the, no. this is the best movie club, yeah. because I'm just like completely off the rails. I'm like, uh. You know, since we're completely off the rails, I'll go with my favorite movie robot joke, and that's... Uh, Bicentennial I'm, Man? No, I'm really... You said that every time I make this joke. It's, uh, you know, I'm really pissed because uh, I let that guy borrow my videotape of Daryl. What the hell is Daryl? <laughs> it's a movie about an android boy who comes to life. Well, that sounds awful. No, no, no. You're thinking about AI, which is still pretty good. That's my favorite robot joke. Okay. Enjoy. Uh, how about this? The, have you seen the trailer for this movie, Game Night? Yes. <laughs> how does it have 13 positive reviews already? Okay, I'll tell you this about Game Night. This is because the bar was. We're going low. to we're going to rescue this movie club. Game Night doesn't look like the worst thing ever. It looks like a halfway original idea, uh, starring people that used to be really popular and aren't really anymore. And I think it will get people to the movie theater because of it. it Game what Night is it? looks like a generic adult comedy movie. Uh, I think it's the little twist where it's. Uh, supposedly a game night and they you know they kind of they turn it on its ear kevin i hate the eight heads in a gamer duffel bag this so is here's true. the thing about game night for me is that don't you guys kind of hate movies where it's like people in a situation but they're not supposed to be there like i, I don't know that you have to do it really well stu- and it's not it's or you have to really know that out. it's dumb i i think it is played out nathan but that's the thing that's what hollywood's doing i'll say this there's not a whole lot to the trailers which leads me to believe that Maybe there's actually some funny scenes. Okay, here's the thing. If I blind wrote a plot for a Jason Bateman movie, it might be this plot. That's fair. That is that is very fair, Kevin. Like I feel like if you just like took every movie he's been in, cut them up and put them in a hat and pulled out like nouns, adjectives, and verbs, you might come up with the plot of this By the movie. way, par- speaking of, of robot movies, too. Eric, boom, a Paramount dropped Transformers six and I think they're hoping to reboot the series with that Bumblebee movie. How does that make you feel? Oh, uh, they are going to reboot the series. I can't wait for the jazz movie. You know, all you need to know about Transformers is watch the 1986 animated movie. Uh, Optimus dies. It will melt your heart. Watch it. All right. You know what? We did Hellboy 1. Let's do Hellboy Golden Army this week. I don't care. I want to talk about this movie because I just watched it on HBO like last week. And I... Okay. Eric. Yes. You you hate Guillermo del Toro's vision for Hellboy, correct? I I hate most of it. Yeah. What what do you think of this movie? Uh, I thought it was kind of brave how it totally went opposite of the lore like they made 
He made an underground army of golden robots led by like these fairy twins. I mean, do I have this right? Yeah, there's like a pa- saying like, this out loud pa- is like the most ridiculous pasty, thing. Pasty, I've ever said. pasty, pasty uh, prince and princess. Yes, it's uh, isn't it the um, Malfoys from? Uh... That's exactly who it is, Kevin. <laughs> uh, it's actually the Weasleys. No, they're like they're like Prince Nuada and Princess Nuwala or yeah, that's something. What I said. Yeah, yeah, it's they... it's the silliest thing. Uh, it's a weird concept. It kind of works. Yeah, this movie really like super worked. That's what was weird about it to me. I'm watching this movie, so I really like Hellboy One, and I just never got around to watching this for some reason. And I saw it was leaving HBO. Of note, Hellboy One director's cut. Yeah, Hellboy One director's cut. Obviously, the the theatrical version of that movie doesn't exist. So, the <laughs> the the movie I'm watching, and I'm just like, this is really odd, but it kind of works. It's just not Hellboy like the comics. You know, it's just like they basically were saying like this is something completely different, but. I thought it was really cool. I thought the movie was really fun. I like the the ghost guy, Johan Kraus. Johann. I thought I thought he was awesome. Like everything he did was funny to me in this movie. Like he was good like comedic relief boss guy. Uh Jeffrey Tambor was was, was doing his thing. Uh I don't know. I kind of I kind of like it. And Doug Jones in these movies as Abe Sapien. Like I don't think anyone else could do what he's doing in this movie. It would be impossible. You know, I think it's it's a great thing when we have these actors who are sometimes pigeonholed as, you know, CGI characters or heavily makeup characters. Think of Andy Serkis, who has a big part in the new Black Panther movie. Um, one of the yeah, he's one of the Tolkien white guys. Yeah, one of the Tolkien white guys. Uh, but he is think that's an excellent joke, Nathan. Uh, he's in the Last Jedi uh, in a CGI role. He was King Kong in the King Kong movie. He was Smeagol Gollum in Lord of the Rings. This is a guy who's always behind the scenes in CGI. He's a handsome fellow. He's clearly a good actor. Uh, this is one of those movies where he's actually, you know, in right. the forefront. And if you look at Doug Jones, this is just another one of those actors who's always a CGI guy. Um, yeah, I really was hoping he would get a Best Supporting Actor actor nod for Shape of Water. Just because I thought that no one else could have possibly conveyed the emotion that he did with just, like, weird body movements and... Like that was like it was an impo- They gave him an impossible task and he pulled it off. Like Doug Jones was awesome. And I think stuff like that goes underappreciated. That's why I like Tom Hardy right now. Uh, Christopher Nolan said in an interview, people said, "Why do you always cast Tom Hardy in these roles where you don't show his face? He's a really handsome guy." And he said, "Because he has this amazing ability to emote through his facial, his his eye expressions, and his body language, and that is a skill that these." CGI pigeonholed actors have, and I, I, I greatly respect that. Yeah, uh, I just like that they didn't compromise. You know, it felt like Del Toro did whatever he wanted in this movie, right? Like he just was like, "I want have an idea. We're gonna do it. We're gonna make this thing happen. This crazy thing happen." And they did. So and, you know, enough people liked it where they are now rebooting it. I mean, let's face it, Hellboy's not a a household name, but the creator is. You know, has his hands more in this reboot. Uh, if, if I can just talk more about the reboot, I'm really excited for this reboot because I love the character of Hellboy. It's it's right up my alley about things that I like. Well, yeah, on a scale of one to ten, like how much do I like David Harbor? Ten, yes. Like David Harbor's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, David Harbor's Hellboy. It's gonna be freaking sweet. And so yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it as well. Um, but are they rebooting like back to the beginning? Like, is it is it is Hellboy the new Start movie it over. is going to be like a origin story again? Uh, I don't know how what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah, Batman's parents are going to die in it. <laughs> they haven't said the plot point at all, but uh, yeah, it's a complete reboot. They cast Ian McShane as his dad, so 
I would assume they're rebooting on some level. Ian McShane, by the That's way, solid. probably uh, uh, one of our finest living actors. Um, I love him so much. In a uh, lot. Long story short, when they had that one episode of Game of Thrones he was on, and then I was like, yes, Ian McShane is in this show now? This is the fucking business. I'm so pumped now. And then he died in the first episode. I was just like, I fucking hate this show. <laughs> this show betray- it betrayed me so much. So, all right. Whenever Ian McShane pops up, you're always like, oh, something interesting is going to happen. And for those of you who don't know who Ian McShane is, he's, oh, that guy. He's okay. Let, let me let me uh, go over some famous. Oh, Ian we could just go over. We could just say one. He's okay, go ahead. He's in John Wick. He's yes, the, he's the hotel manager. I believe you in mean John he's Wick. in John Wick. Yeah, he he's got the. Uh, he just he's in all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, he plays a lot of sage like guys. Um, he always has good advice for characters. He's, yeah. he's kind of a bastard sometimes. Yeah, he plays it all. He definitely he's the bad guy in the, he's the bad guy in the first Kung Fu Panda movie. There That's you go. true. That's all. and then and now we sh- now we roll the credits. All right. You will definitely notice his voice in that, and it is distinctly his voice. So uh, that was the ramblingest movie club ever, and I'm sorry to anyone who <laughs> had forced really himself bad. to listen to it. For Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Santo, and we'll see you next week with more sleep. Go Hawks! Welcome to our fever dream. <laughs>